0: Welcome to week two of our series, The Last Days of the Son of Man. We're looking at the final week of the earthly ministry of Jesus, which is often called the Passion Week. Now, each week we look at a new event leading up to the cross and also see how each one of these events can be embodied in an object or symbol. Last week, we looked at the triumphal entry, which was symbolized by the palm tree. It was an explosive entry for Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem, the holy city, and is welcomed in by the crowds as the son of David. The people cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. So they were essentially saying to Jesus, you are the king, please save us. Now, this action was not seen in good light by the religious authorities of the day. They told Jesus to make the crowds quiet down. But Jesus said, even if they were to be quiet, the rocks would cry out. This sets in motion the Passion Week. Today, we turn to the next event in that week, an event often called the cleansing of the temple. The cleansing of the temple is about what is true and right and just and can be symbolized by the scales of justice. The text reads in Mark 11:15 through 19, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking for a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, there are a number of things we need to look at to fully understand the magnitude of what is going on. And they all have to do with evil, unjust practices going on in the temple. Again, a symbolic way of seeing what is going on in the text is the image of the unjust scale. Scales that are balanced in a way to cheat. Throughout the Bible, God condemns these unjust scales. We read in Proverbs 11, 1, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So the Lord loves fairness and he hates dishonest scales. And you see the same sentiment all throughout the Bible. In Leviticus 19:35, Ezekiel 45:10, Proverbs 16:11, Proverbs 20:23, 20, Jeremiah 5:1, Hosea 12:6 through 7, Amos 8:4 through 8, Micah 6:10 through 13, and so many more passages. Now the image of the scales. Can seem a bit bizarre to us, but the ancient concept of unjust scales is actually quite close to the modern one. So think of it like this. If you were going to buy a pound of wheat, someone can try and rip you off with false scales. You think you are buying a pound of wheat, but they have the system rigged so that you're actually getting like nine tenths of a pound. So you're getting ripped off by 10%. And this type of practice was actually Quite common in the days of Jesus. Now, in the modern world, we don't necessarily um, see something like this where we go and buy wheat, but we have equivalent examples. So, for example, uh, when you go to the gas station, there is a little sticker at the pump that says this pump has been verified by an outside body. And what that outside body does is they test it to make sure that if you're paying three fifty dollars a gallon, a gallon is actually dispensed by this pump. Another example might be when you go to the grocery store, Uh, you go to the meat and uh, seafood section, and let's say you buy three pounds of shrimp. Well, what if the scales that they weigh that three pounds on were already rigged so that it, it boosted it by a half pound automatically right up the front? You're getting ripped off. Now, in some senses, you might be only getting charged a little bit so you as an individual may not notice, but the person who's doing this is making a lot of money behind the scenes. So this type of thing is occurring in the time of Jesus, but what's making it even worse is that in Jesus' day, it was typically done to the poor. And what's occurring in the temple might be something very similar because the text tells us that Jesus flips the tables over where there's people selling pigeons. Now, pigeons are a specific animal that's listed in the book of Leviticus as an alternative sacrifice for those who couldn't afford the proper one. So it's specifically the type of sacrifice that's reserved for the poor. Interesting to note, the book of Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph, after Jesus is born, go to the temple and they offer the pigeon. It gives us an insight into the economic background of the life of Jesus. Now, there is something even worse about all of this. It's happening in the temple. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. It is the place they touch. It's the most holy, sacred space on earth. So when Jesus enters into the temple and he sees all of this, he immediately flips over the table and chases out the people doing commerce. He declares they are making the temple a den of robbers. Now, many times, this is where people focus in on the fact that the poor are being mistreated. And this is certainly a major focus in the life of Jesus and the scriptures. Christians care for the poor, the orphan, the widow. We care for the last, the lost, and the least. However, in this particular instance, Jesus is drawing our attention to another problem that is going on in the temple, another type of unjust scale, if you will. And to understand that, you must understand the architectural layout of the temple. The temple contained courts with different levels of restrictions. The most holy sacred place was the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest was allowed to go in. On the opposite end is where pretty much anybody else was allowed to go in, and it was called the Court of the Gentiles. This was, however, the only place that Gentiles were allowed to be. They could not go in any further. If you were Jewish, you could go in further into the temple complex. But for the Gentiles, this is the closest you could get to the Holy of Holies. It's the only place that you could pray and worship. So when Jesus enters into the temple, where does he enter first? The first room you would enter into is not the Holy of Holies. It's the court of the Gentiles. And what does he see? It is the one place Gentiles can pray and worship. And now there is noise and chaos, the bustle of big business, money changers and animals being sold. If you were Jewish, you could go in further. But for anyone who is not Jewish, you are stuck outside and your holy sacred space is now a den of robbers. So what is going on is more than just some people cheating customers and making a few extra bucks. That's bad enough but there's also something more sinister at play. And we know this because of the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus says right before he says that people are making the temple of den of robbers. He says, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. The temple is not just for one people group, but it's for all nations. Now, the English word here, nation can be a little bit misleading. When you think of a nation, you think of a, of a government with geographic boundaries and citizens of that nation. The Greek word that is used here, however, is ethnos. And ethnos should sound familiar, right? Think ethnic ethnicity. Jesus is saying the temple was supposed to be the house for all the ethnon, all the ethnicities, all people. And this gets to the heart of the issue. When Jesus says a house of prayer for all nations, he's quoting a verse from the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7, which says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. God's plan all the way back in Isaiah was that all people, all nations, all ethnicities would worship Him. But what is going on in the temple is the complete opposite of that. It is not a house of prayer for all nations, but it's a den of robbers. So when Jesus sees all of this, He flips the tables over and drives out the money changers and all those who are doing commerce. Jesus is saying, this is the temple. It's my Father's house. And my Father wanted to be the one place on earth where all people could gather to worship Him. Now, all of this is incredibly important for today. The temple no longer exists as it once did. The temple was in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, but it would be destroyed a second time in 70 AD. But the Bible says there still is a temple on earth. And one of the verses that many Christians know is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So where is the temple now? Well, the body of a follower of Jesus is a temple. But the Bible also says the church as the gathered followers of Jesus is also a temple. Paul, in speaking to the church in Corinth, says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, the you being used is plural, and thus, y'all. Paul is saying y'all are the temple of God. The church, the body of believers, is the place the Spirit of God is, which brings us back to why this is so important. The temple has always had an end goal. The temple was built so that all the nations might come to know the living God. Yes, it is a Jewish temple. Yes, it is built by Jewish Jewish hands, but it was constructed so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, so that all the people would know the true God. That was true then, and it's true today. The church, is the place where people are to come. The church is the place where people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different ethnic heritage come, people from every walk of life come and find unity in the person of Jesus. Now, do you understand how important this is for our day? There is so much division, so much fighting, but there is one place on earth where the rest of the world should look if they want to see unity. If they want to see people from different walks of life walking together, then you ought to look to the church. The church functions as a temple. The place should never be a place of unjust scales. It should be a house of prayer for all nations. This has been the heart of God since the beginning. When God forms his people, Israel, with his covenant with Abraham, the promises were that in and through Israel, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The church witnesses to the power of God when we do this. The world can hate each other, but Christ himself says the world will know that we belong to him by our love for one another. So we have a task before us, church, and I want you to reflect on your own life right now. Are you a person properly functioning as a temple of the Holy Spirit? We do this individually and we do this corporately. It is to Christians that the world ought to look to deal with differences. It is to Christians that the world ought to look to see the heart of God. Now, I'd like to close with the same closing passage as we did last week. I'd like us to look now at all of this through the lens of both events, both Palm Sunday from last week and the event of the cleansing of the temple from this week. And in that, we can see the heart of God of God. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb.